peace and beauty of the bells have already brought us very close to the heart of God. Friends, good morning. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, welcome to those of you in the room, many more we know joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way. Uh, some of you are visiting with us. We're, we're just so honored that you've come. We hope you'll come back. We hope you'll leave us contact information. We'd love to reach out to you this week. That would be a great thing. Uh, friends, my name is James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together. We are in the throes of all of our Advent festivities. This afternoon, we have our special Kneeling at the Manger, hosted by our children's ministry. You won't want to miss it. It's a ton of fun. You can come dressed up. All ages are welcome. Most of the time, it's the kids, but anybody can dress up. But I hope you'll join us for that this afternoon. And then tomorrow afternoon, or evening, excuse me, at 6.30 p.m. right here, we have our beautiful Hope and Consolation service. And this is a service to just acknowledge that this season, um, though beautiful and joyous, it can also be filled with grief and sorrow. And all of us have experienced loss of some kind. Um, and this is just a time to come together, be with community, be in prayer, and to remember those loved ones who we are missing during this season. So I hope that you'll join us again tomorrow night right here at 6.30 p.m. Friends, it is good to be in the presence of God, so let us continue on in worship. responsive reading as we light the second candle for those for the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined
family of God, let us now join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed, which can be found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, it's our privilege of the service to celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism. Kate and Matt Blanton bring their son, John Robert, and Bailey and Eric Strawn bring their daughter, Julia Ann. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament Sorry. of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and are given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say we do. Do you confess Christ as your savior, put your trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say we do. And will you nurture these children into Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, profess their faith openly and lead a Christian life? If so, say we will. And will you, members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, include these families now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? Will you surround these families with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, say we will. And I made a terrible boo-boo. Um, first one in about five minutes. Uh, so this is Taylor Ann and Ogden Deaton who brought their son, Ogden Shropshire Deaton III. All right, friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea. Their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. In the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls on his disciples to share on the baptism of his death and resurrection. Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in your final victory. All praise you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Ogden Shropshire Deaton III, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
John Robert Blanton, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, therefore let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Children of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice to welcome you to the family of God. Friends, through baptism, we are reminded of just the freeness of God's grace, the abundance of God's grace. And it is with that knowledge that we can come before God and confess our sins. So please join me in the prayer of confession. Wonderful counselor, we lay our foolishness and brokenness at your feet. Guide us into your wisdom, mighty God, our pride and quest for power cause more harm than good. Open our hearts to your strength and weakness. Everlasting Father, forgive us. Restore our kinship with you, O God, Prince of Peace. Conflict, fear, and rancor plague us. Let us believe your promises and gifts of peace. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
The Psalter reading is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouth of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have established, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him little less than God and crown him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Isaiah points to a, a very pregnant woman and names her child. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Israel uh, is uh, always tutored in a strange logic. When Israel thinks about the power of God, Israel always talks about children, infants. There's something about that. It's not the might as the rest of the world knows it. There's something about a child, something about an infant. I think I uh, began to realize this when uh, our firstborn, Sarah, uh, came along. Uh, I was a pastor here in Charlotte at the time, actually, out in northeast Charlotte at a little church. And the men in that church, I have to tell you, they, uh, I think they were just bent on intimidating me. It, they all had big, gruff voices, and they sp always spoke to me in this tone. But that wasn't so bad as the handshakes. These men, they all they worked with their hands. They were blue-collar laborers. They all had big, calloused hands. I have, like, just, like, little weenie hands. Like, sorry. I've been working at a, a pulpit all my life, right? So they would come out of the back of the church. I could see them, like, getting ready, like, we'll show him who's playing. And they would take my hand, like, oh, I'd go home, I'd soak my hands. It was terrible. So Sarah comes along, and I take her to church. And these men are coming toward me, and I think, they're going to harm my child. But it was the weirdest thing. These men with the big, gruff voices, when they would see Sarah, they would bend down, and they would say, who is this? Oh, sweetie. Oh. And they would reach out to take her, and those big, strong, callous hands that had been crushing mine became just soft as pillows, and they held her so very gently. Mighty God, the might of an infant. Um, Isaiah says that his name should be called Mighty God. The Hebrew underlying that is interesting, El Gabor. Some scholars would uh, translate, rightly, El Gabor as divine hero. There's a divine hero coming. I want to reflect with you for a moment over the whole business of a hero. I fear we have this a demise of that concept in our culture. If I say to you, who is your hero? Like, who'd you even say, right? Instead of heroes today, what we have are celebrities, poor substitute. For a hero, you have celebrities. I, who are our celebrities? I don't know. Taylor Swift, LeBron. I was talking to one of my children the other day. I said, who's a celebrity I can name in my sermon? And one of them said, the Kardashians. And I said, what are the Kardashians famous for? And my daughter said, I think they're famous for being famous. Celebrities. And what celebrities do, celebrities do not uh, draw wisdom out of you. They do not incite you to goodness or holiness. What celebrities do is they glamorize wealth and good looks and the cool life. I mean, you know how it goes, uh, celebrities. And if we have heroes at all, I mean, <laughs> there are heroes. Maybe you can think of some. But if we have heroes at all, there are people who do things for us. I grew up watching uh, Saturday morning cartoons. And uh, one of my favorites was Mighty Mouse. There'd be some trouble somewhere, and Mighty Mouse would spring into action singing, 
Here I come to save the day. I still want Aaron, Evan Curry to sing this for us one Sunday. Mighty Mouse. Or it's the way we think, isn't it, about the military. Like they're heroes. They do something for us, right? That's different from what uh, the social commentator Christopher Lash wrote. He, he, I love this quote. He said, in a narcissistic, self-pleasing culture, that would be ours, we welcome celebrities. Why? Because we lack imagination and courage. Or Aunt May's conversation with Peter Parker, Spider-Man, when he's thinking about giving it up, Aunt May says to him, Lord knows kids like Henry need a hero, courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People will tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught them how to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride. I wonder if Advent, instead of, oh, it's Jesus' birthday party, might be a preparation for being heroic. Advent might be a season where we get ready to have some courage to discover the hero in all of us. Uh, Isaiah speaks of a mighty God, and the Israelites would certainly say, oh, we need a mighty God now. Good grief, the Assyrians, they are so mighty. They're surrounding us. We're going to be toast soon. <laughs> The Assyrians, even their rulers, their rulers aren't named things like God with us, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. No, the rulers, Tiglath-Pileser III, you just hear that and you shiver. Like you don't have to know anything else about him. Shalmaneser, Ashurbanipal, and these are big, tough men with big names, and they had the armies to back them up. Israel wished they had a mighty God. I mean, what could save Israel? What could save today uh, Gaza? It would take a mighty God. What could save you or me? It would take a mighty God. I told you one time they documented this thing. Back in 1980, war was raging in Beirut and Lebanon. And Mother Teresa showed up there with some of her sisters of charity. And at the entrance of the city, she said, we want to come in and help those that are wounded. And they said, you, you can't come in. The fighting is too fierce. She said, we're not afraid. We still want to come in. They said, you can't come in. She said, when can we come in? They said, when there's a ceasefire? She said, when will there be a ceasefire? And the guy said, there's not going to be a ceasefire for a long time. She said, my sisters and I will pray tonight for a ceasefire. And that night there was a ceasefire. And they went into the city, began to bind up the wounded. Or St. Francis of Assisi, he went on crusade with those Christian crusaders, knights, and they had their armor, and they went to, to fight the, the Muslims who were armed. And... Francis, unarmed, walked across no man's land, and the Muslims drew their sabers to kill him, but he looked so pitiful. It was sort of comical, so they led him to the Sultan Malik al-Kamil. Francis befriended him and bought peace for a time. You see, that's a mighty God. That's something that took courage. They had to show up. They had to show up. But if we're going to talk about a mighty God, we have to own that uh, this is the fuel of cynics, people who want to doubt Christianity and be critical of Christianity. All they need to do is think about mighty God. Are you kidding me? You have the critics of Christianity. They're the best-selling religion books in America. It's not the pious books. It's not the devotional books. The best-selling religious books are the likes of Bart Ehrman and Christopher Hitchens and all of this new atheists who write books trashing God, and they think they're so brilliant because they've discovered, like, if there is a good and powerful God, how can there be so many problems in the world? Like, no one thought of that before. Amazing. The analogy they like to use, Simon Blackburn in his skeptical book, he, he did this. He said, if you think that God is good and mighty, just think of the world as an apartment building. And in that apartment building, there are leaks everywhere. It's toxic. Uh, the doors don't lock. Thieves are coming in all the time. It's just an atrocious place to live. And the owner of the building says, I could do something about this building, but I am choosing not to. They say such a God is not powerful. They say such a God simply is not. Such a God is not. I was so grateful in seminary uh, to be assigned reading Jürgen Moltmann's uh, wonderful book, The Crucified God. 
And then it's on page 78. I'll never forget it. He talks about God being better than the definitions, right? You know the definitions of God. God is all those omni-in words, like God is omni, omnipresent, God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, God is all those things. It, Moulton says God's better than that. And you think, how could you be better than omnipotent? He said, yeah, God is love. Says omnipotence can't be loved. Tiglath Pileser the third. That's a scary dude. It'd be hard to love him. But God comes as this infant Jesus, and you can love a little child. God is love. And in a world, you know this, right? Is that if you love, you, you can't be powerful and love because power ruins love. Control. If you want to control the person that you love, you don't love them any longer because control just ruins love. Love is vulnerable. Love, your heart gets broken. If you love, you can't control things, but you're okay with that because you love. Love takes risk, and the world is in a mess, and the reason is not that God is not powerful or that God is not. The world is in a mess because God is love, because God is love. And so, in such a world, we, we look for miracles. We want God to dip God's finger down into that world that is a mess and perform a miracle. I told you recently about uh, Walter Isaacson's great biography of Albert Einstein. He wrestles a lot in there with, did, did, did Einstein believe in God or not? And probably his best line is when he says this, is that for Einstein, it was the absence of miracles that reflected divine providence. The fact that the cosmos is comprehensible, that it follows laws, is worthy of all. And I read that to you, and you like that if you're at all scientifically minded, but I want you to think for a minute about the absence of miracles and the world following its laws. And when you think about that, it's when the doctor has said, it is malignant. You think about this when the doctor says, it's Alzheimer's. You think about this when the doctor says, it's terminal. And at that point, you're not happy with the idea of the absence of miracles. You can't live with the idea that nature will just follow its course. And so we begin to pray as we should pray. And I have to tell you, one of the great uh, joys of my life, one of the great privileges of my life, given what I do for a living, is I get to pray for a lot of people in a lot of tough situations. And I'm so honored every time you reach out to me and say, would you please pray for me, for my son, for my mother, for whoever. It is an honor to do that. But I do have to be honest with you about my, uh, I don't know what to call it, track record. When somebody asks me, will you pray for me, I'm having knee replacement. With knee replacements, I have a very good track record. People do pretty well. But when it's Alzheimer's or when it's terminal cancer, I found that I pray, you pray, we all pray, and nature follows its course. We did building tours this past week, taking donors to see the building progress that's being made. I urged each one of them to stop and to be especially attentive to the columbarium. And I said, you want to pay attention to this columbarium because, my brothers and sisters, one day this will be your home. <laughs> and the question is, when will it become your home? And how will all of that unfold? Who knows? We will tomorrow night have a service of hope and consolation. I love that we do this. A lot of churches, Christmas is just, ah, tis the season to be jolly. Let's be jolly in church too. In church, we're okay with saying there's some sadness and brokenness in this season. At the service of hope and consolation, a question that I always think about is, is it better to go or to be left behind? I don't know the answer to that question. There's a hole now in the family photos. It used to be this group. They were in the family photos at Christmas, but now there's someone missing. You photoshopped them in 
in your memory, my favorite Christmas photos were from when I was a child, and my grandfather, Papa Howell, was in the photos, and, and he died. He wasn't in the photos any longer. I remember even as a child thinking, we just can't have Christmas without him. I remember even forming the wise beyond my years thought of, Papa Howell just is Christmas. How do we do this? without him. And so we pray. Uh, we pray. I love uh, Madeline Lingle. She wrote this thing. Uh, her husband, uh, Hugh Franklin, had gone in for a biopsy. They had one of those long weekends where you're waiting for the result of the biopsy. So, of course, all weekend she prayed, Lord, don't let it be malignant. Lord, please don't let it be malignant. Lord, please let it be benign. She told a friend this, and her friend said, you can't pray that way. It already is malignant or it isn't. She waved off this thought and said, I, I have to pray my heart. I can't pray any other way. And then she added this, prayer is love, and love is never wasted. Surely these prayers have sustained me and are sustaining me. Perhaps there will be unexpected answers to these prayers, answers I may not even be aware of for years, but they are not wasted. They are not lost. I am not sure where they have gone, but I believe that God holds them, hands outstretched to receive them like precious pearls. We do our part. We pray. We offer those we love and ourselves to God, and we trust that God is more than mighty enough to receive them to receive them. And then here's the odd part of my sermon. I was trying to think how to wind it up. I found myself with the idea that God works in the dark. God works in hidden ways that aren't obvious and that we cannot see. I try to think of those who work in the dark, uh, the farmer. The farmer works by day, but when the farmer is asleep, God's hand is on the garden still causing growth, even for what's underground and hidden. Lisa and I know a landscaper and her business is called Luna. And she rather weirdly works at night. She shows up after the sun goes down and she works all night while you're asleep. And then you get up in the morning and you look out and like, wow, look at my yard. <laughs> she works in the dark. Here's the main memory I thought of about somebody working in the dark. And it's a little quirky, but bear with me. The first uh, major holiday I spent with Lisa's family, it was th Thanksgiving. We had gotten engaged. Uh, we were not yet married. We were up at Lake Genaluska for Thanksgiving, and I was kind of nervous. I wanted these people to like me. I didn't know if they would like me. So I was just like trying too hard, you know. <laughs> anyway, so, so I go to sleep, and I'm, I'm in this front little bedroom, and it's pitch black dark. This is before your phone could be a light. I mean, it just was dark. And middle of the night, I wake up. It's like 4 in the morning, and I hear this sound, this, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, <laughs> the sound, and I'm thinking, what is that? And I listen. Uh, what is, and I decide, like, we're up in the mountains, and I think, this must be some creature that has gotten into the house, and it's chewing something. Gosh, maybe it's eating our Thanksgiving food. I don't know. I need to do something. And, and I even had the thought of, maybe I could save the family, and then they'd like me for sure. So I, so I, I get in the dark. I kind of feel my way, and I open the door, and the kitchen's right around the corner, and that's where the sound's coming from. So I kind of creep quietly and I look around just past the door jam, and there just by the light of the oven is my mother-in-law, and she's wrapping the turkey in foil. And I didn't want her to see me. I just crept back quietly, went back to bed. She was working in the dark for a feast that we would have by the light of the day. The reason that this impacted me so much this week is it just occurred to me, if you had asked me then, I think, uh, I don't know, I just had no idea then how much I would love this woman. I just had no idea. And how much a Christmas 38 years later I would miss her so much. It's always that way isn't it? You meet a friend and you 
have lunch together and maybe you play around to golf and you have fun and you go do something and you think, this is really great, I have a friend and you have no idea how much you will love that person and when they are gone, how much you will miss them. You have no idea. You have a sibling, you play with a sibling, you fight, you do what siblings do, you know, and you have no idea that one day your sibling will be gone and you loved them more than you knew and you missed them more than you could have imagined. People come to this altar and I marry them and I always say, till death do us part, and they say it, but it's the last thing on their mind. They have no idea. They think they will live forever in total bliss. They have no idea that when you lose that person, how much you love them, how much you miss them. But here's the thing. God works in the dark. God works in ways that are unseen. And the best analogy I have for it is what can happen on Christmas morning. I remember when my girls were little, we lived in, uh, up in Davidson, and um, they'd get up way too early on Christmas morning. Got on my nerves. I'd been working the night before. Like, come on, kids. So we would instruct them. We would say, okay, here's a digital clock, and you may not come out of your room until seven is the first number. And they, okay. And so I'd wait outside, 6.59, I'd be outside the room. The door would open, bing, 7 o'clock. <laughs> I'll never forget the year. My two girls, Sarah and Grace, bound out of the room, and they're all, <laughs> they're all excited. They, they go about halfway down the stairs, and they stop. They've looked into the living room. Sarah looks back up at me and says, Daddy, there are bikes down here. <laughs> I, I knew this. <laughs> I had worked in the dark. I tell you this because that delight is just a fraction of what because of mighty God will happen one day. You'll turn a corner and you'll be so surprised and you'll say, wow, look who's here. Look who's here. I mean, Marilyn Robinson in her novel Housekeeping imagines that moment, and, and, and those who have been waiting for us will say, why, why did you keep us waiting so long? <laughs> and there will be a great feast and so much joy because our God is not a God of intimidating power. Our God is a God of vulnerable love that never lets us go. His name will be called Mighty God. Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks be to God. Friends, let us go to God in prayer together. Loving and gracious God, we gather at your church as your people to prepare the way of the Lord in this season of Advent. In the midst of so much noise and distractions, in the midst of so much contempt and conflict, may we prepare for your way together. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Your way leads us toward life, life worth living and life worth sharing. Your way leads us toward peace, peace that endures all things and for all people. Help us to trust in your gospel and believe in your hope everlasting hope that will have the final say in our lives and in your world. Lord, in your mercy. May your spirit bring about laughter in our lives and joy in your church. Being with and beside one another, may we find comfort and strength in each other as we worship as a people of God. As we begin anew and renewed, convict us of our sins and shortcomings. Reveal our wound, wounded places in need of healing. Lead us toward brokenness that only you can repair. Give us courage to do the divine works of reconciliation in all of our relationships, within our families, within our churches, within our communities, all around the world. Lord, in your mercy, we lift up those who mourn this day, we lift up especially the family and friends of Ruby Sparks who finished her course in faith and now rest in your eternal presence, trusting in the assurances of the promises of God. 
we are able to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray as we join in one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as we come and worship to collect our offering, I hope you don't mind me reminding you that every year about a third of our budget comes in in the last month. Know that it is needed. Know that it is transformational. So let us give and give generously to the work of God's church.
loving and gracious God, you are the provider and giver of all good things in our lives. We offer a portion of that which you've given to us so that we may do your good, faithful work all around your world. Dear God, please help us to show your love to all who are hungry. May we be good friends to them. Thank you for the meals we have each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore. Amen.